Oh, I'm exhausted already. Uh, so, thank you all so much for being here. My name is Caleb. Surprisingly, I'm one of the pastors here at Desert Springs. I wanted to say before we get into the message, uh, we, are, we recently this summer uh, launched a vision campaign called Build 100. We believe that God has called us to building up 100 new leaders from within our community, uh, to building or rebuilding 100 homes for under-resourced families in North Phoenix in partnership with Habitat for Humanity, uh, building 100% more multi-use space on our campus uh, to answer some of the need that we have in some of the areas around our campus where we're feeling the pinch, where we're packing the house, so to speak. And the first thing that we have committed to doing is uh, currently our two-story kids building, the only way to get upstairs is by climbing the stairs. And we're committed to uh, uh, building handicap accessibility to that multi-purpose space. That's the first thing we're going to do. And I wanted to say, number one, thank you so much for those of you that have gone above and beyond, who have raised your hand and said, I'm all in with Build 100. We are close uh, to raising the funds needed for uh, the handicap accessibility. We are right now talking to our vendors. They're designing plans for how we're going to build that into our two-story building. I just want to say, Thank you so much for being committed to building a legacy of blessing uh, in and through this church family. For those of you who maybe you're like, I don't know what Build 100 is, or maybe you've heard about it and you'd like to know more information, here's your next step. In the lobby, there's a couple of spots that you'll see with Build 100. Uh, You'll see something that looks like that uh, out there. And uh, uh, right there are some uh, quick handouts that will send you to a website that's got all sorts of information on this uh, vision campaign of building a legacy of blessing in our city. I'd love to have you guys uh, check that out and join us for that. I truly believe that as a church family, the more that we seek to live generously, compassionately serving our city and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, the greater the legacy of blessing that we're going to leave. And so I'd encourage you guys to uh, take a look at that, grab those flyers on your way out today. We'd love to have you join us in this initiative. Now, uh, the holidays are just around the corner. As was said just a moment ago, Thanksgiving is coming up. And are you guys ready? Feeling confident in your capacities to handle the holidays, are you? No. No. Yeah, me neither. So, for those of us who ain't ready, here's what we're going to do. We're in the middle of, uh, and actually we're doing the last two weeks, this week and next week, of our Tis the Season uh, sermon series, where we are preparing our hearts for the onslaught of consumeristic individuality that's coming our way. And all of the, have you guys seen the commercials? They've already started, haven't you? They're, like, I just saw a commercial and it was like all these, you know, family values and the family's doing all sorts of wonderful things around the table and all of my emotions are engaged. And then at the end, they're like, you should, you should buy our car. <laughs> That's what's wrong with your family is you don't have the right car. And I'm like, what? Is that what the holidays are about? pulling the rug out from under us, tethering ourselves to our nostalgic memories and then saying, you know what you need this Christmas season is you need more stuff. And it could be that we do need some stuff, but by and large, we're in a community that does not differentiate between want and need. Moreover, we're being told a thousand times a day that the way that we find dignity, worth, value, and love is by obtaining more stuff. That my life's value is found in the amount of money I have or the amount of possessions I have or the amount of power I have. It's rampant in our community. And so we're taking some time before the holiday season actually kicks off to focus our minds and our hearts and to strive to find uh, the wisdom needed to live gracefully and wisely in this season. And today, we're going to talk about envy. Ooh, yeah, see, the the reason you guys stopped cheering... 
is because envy is one of those things that we hate when we get caught doing it. In fact, out of all the, you know, have you guys ever heard the term seven deadly sins? You guys ever heard that before? How many of them are there? Seven. Seven, okay, good. So for the 18 of you that figured out that there's seven deadly sins, turn to your neighbor and tell them there's seven, seven deadly sins, so everyone knows. How many deadly sins, uh, how many seven deadly sins are there? Okay, so out of all the seven deadly sins, that's kind of a, a cultural phenomenon, Almost all of them, in fact, I, I, some different authors I've read actually articulate that out of all of them, they all, to one degree or the other, feel justifiable. Uh, when we do things like rage against someone, we kind of feel good about it, and when other people catch us raging at someone else, we kind of feel like, yeah, you know, look at them. They're wearing, they're wearing a Raiders outfit, like, of course. <laughs> e- even things like theft and, Yeah. We can almost always justify when we get caught engaging in one of those other sins. But envy is probably the one, in fact, I would argue that at least in my life, it is the one that causes the most shame. If someone came up to me and said, Caleb, you envy that, don't you? Don't look, don't look. So we're going to explore a little bit about why that is today. We're going to look at Psalm uh, 73. If you, guys have your Bi- if you guys have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. If you have a digital device, you can use that. If not, don't even worry about it. I'll have it up on the screen for you. One of the things that I envy is good sermon titles. Uh, in my profession, I am not super creative when it comes to sermon titles. I, I, I read and listen to and, and watch all different types of uh, communicators. And, and they, they, you know, the TED Talks, they've got real sharp titles for their talks. And in sermons, there's, there's all these preachers out there that they just have really snappy one-liners. And they're just so memorable. And, and I just, I'm no good at it. I envy that. So, like, my original sermon title, no joke for this week, is Envy is Bad. <laughs> Gripping, Right? And, but because of envy, I was driven to, uh, you know, to uh, unhealthily push myself. And uh, so I actually robbed uh, or, or borrowed an idea from an artist named Childish Gambino. And so today's sermon is going to be titled, Don't Be Slipping. And I'm going to show you why in a minute. In fact, if you, should we do a vote? Should we do, should we do A? A round of applause. A or B for the sermon title. So I thought, okay, so the title of today's sermon is Don't Be Slippin', and I'm going to show you why. Envy is a bottomless abyss of discontentment and joyless frustration. Envy is a bottomless abyss of discontentment and joyless frustration. And as you and I are navigating the terrain of life, what we want to avoid is slipping off the mountaintop into the abyss. Now, I totally ripped off that metaphor from the author of Psalm 73. Take a look at this. So uh, this is Psalm 73, verses 2 through 5. Psalms, by the way, are uh, they're poetic or they're, they're songs or poetry put to music that are actually uh, prayers And so you could refer to the author of a psalm as a songwriter or as a poet or as the psalter, as some would say. But what you're catching is you're catching an artistic reflection of their prayer life. And there's different authors in the psalms uh, all writing their different songs. And so we're looking at the song found, the song that is a prayer in Psalm 73. Now watch what the author says, all right? 
But as for me, my feet almost slipped. Hence the title, Don't Be Slippin'. My feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. For I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die, and their bodies are well fed. They are not in trouble like others. They are not afflicted like most people. Tell me, in the opening stanza of this uh, poem, or in the opening lines of this song, what do you know about this songwriter? What did they feel? They felt envy. Who were they envying? The wicked, the arrogant, people who had what? Prosperity. Okay? And then this songwriter puts this to song and puts it to prayer. Now, we're going to press pause for a second. Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever felt a deep longing for something that someone else had? Envy is the looking at what I don't have and coveting it or being jealous of it or, or desiring to obtain it. And in, within envy is this subtle, nuanced um, derision or hatred of the person who has the thing that I want. Uh, we're going to tease this out here in a minute. But envy is more than just, I'd like to have that. Envy is an I need that, and I can't believe they have it. In fact, they should give it to me. And so in envy, you see a longing, a deep abyss of discontentment and joyless frustration. Uh, Beth Moore, who is a theologian, says this, there is nothing benign about envy. Like a cancer left untreated, it will consume us. Envy is deadly. It can kill anything from contentment to relationships to people. There's nothing benign about envy, she says. And she's right. Proverbs 14.30 says, envy rots the bones. To be envious is to rot the bones. Have you ever been there before? Now watch this. The imagery that the, salt, that the songwriter uses is slipping. So imagine you're hiking the terrain of life and your feet begin to slip, you begin to lose your footing, and then what happens? If you give into it, if you don't catch yourself, if you don't provide a counterbalance, what happens to you? Now, you fall, and you fall into the abyss. Now, uh, many of us do not remember the 80s and 90s. Some of us because we weren't born, others because we were baked. Which, fuck, glad you're here today, regardless of where you're at, glad you're here today, right? 80s and 90s, late 80s, early 90s, there was a slew of cliffhanger movies that were actually about cliffhanging. And in all of these movies, one of the common themes is someone holding on, uh, you guys have seen this in the movie, right? They're holding on and their little fingers are starting to slip or they're gripped like this and they're starting to slip. Have you guys ever seen that in a movie before? And they're like, no, no, no. It's usually at the end of the movie, no, no, no. Oh, my goodness. Oh. And then sometimes they pull them up, and sometimes they push them down. 
depending on which way you want to. Now, the best, the, probably the most iconic scene, you guys know it's almost Christmas time. Um, one of my favorite Christmas movies has one of these scenes. Perhaps you've seen it. Uh, it's it's a, actually a devastating story about envy. Um, it's, uh, there's a German man who um, was classically trained, and uh, he just desired more and more money. He felt like he never had enough. He was envious. And so uh, he and a group of people posed as terrorists and took over the Nakatomi Tower... You guys heard this Christmas movie? This is the scene that I'm thinking of that you guys have all seen. Take a look at this. This is what it looks like to fall into the abyss. This is Hans Gruber at the closing scene of the Christmas movie. Die Hard. That's right. Uh, and uh, he's falling into, well, he's actually going to hit the pavement, but let's imagine that he's falling into the abyss. When you think about the songwriter who says, my feet were slipping, what the songwriter has in mind is this happening to his soul. If I give myself over to envy, if I let envy rule over me, I'm holding on to truth, I'm holding on to contentment, I'm holding on to joy, But if I give myself over to envy, I Hans Gruber, my soul. Don't Hans Gruber your soul. That would have been a great sermon title. Can we talk about that? (laughs) The songwriter continues. Now watch what happens when this songwriter who's praying gives themselves over to envy. Perhaps you could relate to this. When they give themselves over to envy. Now, let's remember just real quick. What were the things that the songwriter envied? Do you remember it? Okay, prosperity. And there was a few other things. Uh, Check this out. Um, They have an easy time. Any of y'all ever been going through a hard time and looking at someone else thinking they got an easy time? Okay. Their bodies are well fed. Now, some of us uh, don't, can't relate, so you got to just TV time out for a second. They didn't do Pilates um, in this particular culture, so uh, maybe a way to think of it a little more broadly is they had sleek bodies. Their bodies were just right. Everything about their bodies was proportionate, and they had it, baby. You with me? How many? Don't raise your hand. Don't respond. Some of you are going to get nudged here in a second. How many of us have looked at someone else's body? and looked at our own body and felt envious of what they have. I'm around people who are over five foot nine all the time. <laughs> and I hate them for it. I, 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 so why can't I have what you have, monster? <laughs> Little guy down here, help. You know. They are, in verse 5, they are not in trouble like others. They are not afflicted. This speaks to their health and their uh, money. So I want you to think. Sex, or sex appeal, money, and power. Have you ever, have I ever, have we ever found ourselves envious of the power, sex, or sex appeal, or money, that somebody else has. Could be on a magazine cover, could be on a television program, could be our neighbor, could be one of the people in this room. Could be the car that is nicer than ours that we saw driving in today. 
And when we give ourselves over to envying the stuff of others, we fall into the abyss and we be slipping. And here's why this is so dangerous. This is not benign, as Beth Moore said. I want you to see what happens to the heart of the songwriter. Watch this. When I, oh, let's go back one, sorry. When I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded, whoa, man. Any psych majors in here? When I became embittered and when my innermost being was what? Do you see what the author's saying here? They're not talking about a physical being. They're talking about everything that's inside of here. When that's wounded, you see, when we envy, we reveal our innermost beings. It goes on. I was stupid. That would be a great sermon title as well. Don't be stupid. That's going to be next week. And I didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal towards you. What this songwriter is saying, upon self-reflection, the songwriter is saying, I was embittered when I envied, when I gave myself over to the abyss of envy. I was embittered, and my innermost being, the wounds of my innermost being were laid bare. But I was not understanding. And I was just like an animal before you, God. Now watch this. We envy our gods. We envy our gods. What we want that other people have, when we envy, it's a mirror of our heart. To put it another way, I don't know that I've ever envied or longed for the stuff or the status or the circumstance of another that I didn't extremely value in my own life. Let me put it another way. I do not envy your shiplap. I don't care I don't think shiplap gives me any meaning, dignity, or value. I don't care. I don't envy your cars. Cars are just problems to me. They get me from A to B, but I don't envy your car. And I think with, I I did some self-reflection over the last couple weeks, I don't actually envy your paycheck. God's done a lot of work on me, and I don't envy your paycheck. But here's what I envy. I'll tell you what I envy. When I see other people having this, My wounds are laid bare, and it shows itself up in envy. When I see other pastors with larger congregations than ours, with more people showing up to listen to their infinite wisdom, my heart breaks open, toxicity spills out, and my heart says, why not me? Because I think in my dark days, in my not-so-best days, I think, the operating structure of my heart is this. If I could just get more people in the church, then I would be somebody. Then I'd be a real pastor. Then I'd be successful. Then I'd be valuable. Now, you probably, many of you probably don't have large congregations on the envy list. But I know you got something. Each one of us have a few things, maybe one thing, that's our go-to God that we say to ourselves, if I could just get this thing, then I'd be somebody. And envy is speaking to you what your true love is. When I find myself envying, when I see someone else has that possession or that circumstance or that situation that I want, what that feeling is telling me is, Caleb, 
Are you making this your God? Caleb, is, do you think this is gonna give you dignity, worth, and value before God? Caleb, do you think your value is tethered to this thing? Caleb, why do you want this so bad? When I feel envy, it's a mirroring back of my soul. And, and so, so let me give you a quick diagnostic. When you are longing for, inordinately longing for, what someone else has, a circumstance, right? Their kids are behaving. They got the new thing. They got a better house. They got a promotion. Look at that body. Woo, girl, right? Whatever it is. It may be that it's your deep inner self, your soul, revealing what it actually wants. what it's looking for to satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. And it's insidious. Oh, man. <clears throat> Did you see the word embittered? Did you see the word embittered? Yeah. Oh, good, good. Okay. Don't respond. But has this ever happened to you? Where you look upon someone else and you envy what they have, possession, a circumstance, a situation, and then they fail, or they get taken down a notch, or the thing they had is lost. And in their weeping, have you ever found yourself rejoicing? Feeling good that they got taken down a notch. Doesn't it bring you a, a toxic peace? Like, they're not as good as they say they were. This happens to me. When I look at other pastors who have larger congregations who fail, the first feeling I have, and this is in my not-so-great days, but my first heart's response is, good. Now I'm closer to the top. And that toxic abyss of discontentment and joyless frustration does not bring me to sing. <laughs> it doesn't bring me to a place of contentment or happiness. It just further pulls me into its abyss when it's unchecked, when I don't check myself and say, hold on a minute, I think Jesus has something to say here. And so envy is the longing. It's, it's a deep abyss of discontentment and joyless frustration. And it reveals itself in what we think will give our life dignity, purpose, and value. And one of the byproducts is when the people we're envying fail, we rejoice in their weeping. Do you see how destructive envy can be? I'm going to read Beth Moore's quote just one more time and see if it doesn't ring a little bit truer now. Nothing is benign about envy. Like a cancer left untreated, it will consume us. Envy is deadly. It can kill anything from contentment to relationships to people. So I just, this is so dangerous. Whether you're a Jesus follower or not, envy is so dangerous. So I want to pause just for a moment. I'm not asking you to do anything weird or respond in any sort of public way or anything like that. Just to your own self, would you ask yourself this question? 
Have I allowed envy to pull me into the abyss? Or are my feet slipping? Here this holiday season, are my feet slipping? Would you ask yourself, would you have the, the spiritual integrity to ask yourself that question? Are my feet slipping into envy? Am I rejoicing when they weep? Am I weeping when they rejoice? Do I see what others have and think if I could just have that, then I'll be somebody? Are there people I hate because they have what I value and I don't have it? Would you ask yourself that question? Are my feet slipping? So I've asked myself that question. It's no fun. And if you and I are left to ourselves, it will destroy us. But the good news of Jesus Christ is that we are not left to ourselves. So here's what I'm going to have us do. Whether you're a Christian or not, I just would encourage you to do something for me. Would you just take a big, deep breath in? We're going to reframe our minds and our hearts just in this these last moments together, I'm going to read you a text, and then what I'm going to ask you to do is I want you to think, how, I want you to ask yourself this question. How, how does this apply to me? Or, to put it another way, how would I write my prayer? If I was writing Psalm 73, how would I write this portion? How does this come alive in my life? So I'm going to read the text, but here's what I'm going to do. is I'm going to read it as if it's actually the words of God to you in this moment. Envy pulls us into an abyss of discontentment, frustration, and despair. But we do not have to envy. What shall we do with our envy? Two things. Gain perspective and pray it. Watch this. Take a look at the next text. Yet, I am always with you. You hold my right hand. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Two things. Perspective and prayer. Number one, perspective. I want you to see, I want you to hear, I want you to internalize what the songwriter has discovered. Do you remember the state of the songwriter as the song opened? I was embittered. My innermost being was wounded and laid bare. I was envious of those around me who I perceived to have a better life than me. The songwriter was falling into the abyss of envy. And then the songwriter says, yet. Or to put it another way, Hold up. Wait. There's something else to consider here. And watch what the songwriter says. Look at the perspective here. You uh, are always with me, and you hold my hand. Okay, I want you to get this image, okay? Sex, money, and power are all things that we are tempted to turn to 
to cling to for our security, our dignity, and our value. Is that fair to say? And sex, money, and power uh, all degrade over time. In fact, Jesus is so wise because Jesus says things like this. Don't treasure stuff that moth and rust and thieves can take from you. Don't treasure those things. Treasure something that's eternal. And I want you to see what the songwriter says. Yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. Who do I have where? Okay. Where uh, moth and rust and thieves cannot take it from you. All of the things that we see in others that we envy can be taken from us, can be destroyed, can degrade over time. There is one thing that cannot be degraded, that cannot be destroyed, that cannot be taken from us, and that is our God. And I want you to see how the songwriter illustrates God's relationship to you. Do you see this? You hold what? What does that look like? Like in your mind's eye, what does that actually look like? I think it's different for everybody. I get this image of uh, a child, like my seven-year-old son, and I'm way taller than him right now, so that's great. (laughs) Holding my hand. And I don't know, but how must my child feel when I'm in their presence holding their hand? Safe, loved, valued. Safety, love, and value. The things that we look to all this other stuff to give us. And yet here is God the Father saying, I'm right here. I'm always with you. I've got you by your hand, buddy. The songwriter continues. Who do I have in heaven but you? All the other gods, all the other ideas, all the other philosophies, all the other ways to live. There's no one who holds my hand. Who do I have in heaven but you? And then the songwriter transitions. Therefore, or and, I desire nothing. Where? Where moth and rust and thieves can take it from you. Because I've got you, because you've got me by the hand, there's nothing out here that I desire but you. Do you see how understanding at the heart level your relationship with God your Father shifts the heart's focus away from envy to him? Do you see it? The songwriter is saying, because God's got me by the hand, I don't need to look to sex, money, and power. I don't need to look to other people's circumstances or situations to give my life dignity, meaning, safety, and value. He's got me by the hand. So here's my question for you. Right now, so that's perspective. Right now, in prayer, I'm gonna ask you, and if you're not the praying type, I'm gonna ask you to take a chance today. I'm gonna ask you to pray. Quietly where you're at, you don't have to do it out loud. But for everyone, right now, as you think about this perspective and you think about the envy that's showing up in your life, have you taken it to God in prayer and said, you're always with me. You've got me by the hand. What else do I have but you? I don't need any of this stuff. I've got you. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. 
If you're there today, quietly where you're at, would you speak that to God silently in prayer in just a moment? And if you're not there, which I know many of us aren't, and I'm often not there myself, is to pray, God, would you help me to feel this? Help me to feel the fact that you've got me by the hand. I'm surrounded by things I want, things I envy, circumstances, possessions, situations. But God, I need to feel your hand now. And I'm going to ask that you would pray that with an expectation that he will respond to you. For we serve a living God. By the way, if we do not serve a living God, this is all trash. Our God is living. Our God is active. Our God loves you so much. And he's got you by the hand. So there needn't be anything on this earth that you cling to for your dignity, your worth, your security. So right now, I'm just gonna, we're just going to spend a minute kind of quietly where we're at. I'm going to ask that you would, wherever you're at, speak that to God in your heart. And then I'll conclude with a final prayer as, um, as we're led to. Just quietly where you're at, would you pray? As we conclude, I'm going to read a portion of Psalm 73. Just ask you to keep your eyes closed and reflect on these words as if they are from the living God himself to you today. Yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me up in glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God, you are my strength. And you are my portion forever. As for me, God, your presence is my good. And I will make my refuge you, the Lord my God. Father, we entrust ourselves to you, knowing that you're loving and powerful to bring these things about. In this cultural moment, we are surrounded by messages that communicate that our dignity, worth, and value are found in the things we have or the situations we find ourselves. And it's so hard not to look to those things and to envy when others get them. But we know that envy is destructive. And we know that you don't want destruction for us, but you want our good. And so we turn ourselves to you, recognizing that you hold our hand, that you are always with us. Jesus, as you have said, that you would never leave us or forsake us. We give you thanks for this truth. We pray that it would penetrate not only our minds, but also our hearts, that we might be a people who live in its light. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.